Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You know, seven months ago, as Russian forces had amassed around Ukraine, it became clear that we were headed toward a Russian invasion. Uh, There were Putin apologists and supporters that had really bought into the hype around the Russian war machine. You know, the idea that Kyiv would fall within days. One example here, not to name any names, February 23rd. Many people are predicting that a Russian invasion of Ukraine will look like the failed Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. They're wrong. The world will be shocked by the swiftness of Russian victory. We're about to witness a Sputnik moment. Uh, that did not age well, as the kids say. And it is indeed looking more like the failed Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, if anything, on a much more sped up timeline. So this invasion pretty early on was clear that this was shaping up to be an embarrassment, maybe even a disaster for Vladimir Putin. What was he thinking in the first place? Obviously, this has been a trying six months for Ukraine today. In fact, the 200th day of this war. But Ukraine has mounted a brilliant resistance. And we've really seen that over the last 48 hours as Ukrainian troops have been preparing for building up for a counteroffensive. And just to put it in context, in terms of how remarkable this has been over the last few days, as the world has been focused on the death of the queen and other issues, something amazing has been happening in Ukraine. Thursday evening, Ukraine's president announced that Ukrainian troops had uh, seized back 1,000 square kilometers of territory from Russian troops. That has now grown to 3,000 square kilometers. This counteroffensive has been rapid. It has been effective. As of yesterday, we saw Ukrainian troops entering two vital supply towns that have been held by Russian troops, Izium and Kupanics. Now, we've heard that there is still fighting around those communities, Kupiansk and Izium. Uh, but the fact that uh, Ukrainian troops have entered, retaken those communities, strategically is huge. Just the overall momentum of this Ukrainian counteroffensive is strategically huge. The the sight of Russian troops fleeing, retreating, that could have a considerable impact, certainly when it comes to morale and public opinion, and conversely as well, tying into that in a support for Vladimir Putin in Russia. Now, this obviously wouldn't be able to happen without the tremendous support uh, from the West, Americans in particular. You know, obviously, I think Canada maybe hasn't done as much as we could have. Although we certainly have provided support to Ukraine to give them the tools they need to take the fight to the Russians and taking the fight to the Russians is what they're doing. Uh, independent journalist Adam Zivo has spent the last several months in Ukraine. He joins us uh, on the line to talk about what's unfolded uh, over the last few days and just how significant this is. Adam, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Uh, great to join you. Thanks for having me. Remember, we spoke a little while ago and you were in uh, Kharkiv and uh, we talked about the situation there. This counteroffensive uh, certainly seems concentrated in that area. Help us understand what's what's going on there. Well, essentially what's happening right now is in a phenomenal breakthrough in eastern Ukraine, which was achieved through a disinformation campaign which drew Russian forces to the south. Uh, essentially, what had happened is that there's a city called Kherson in southern Ukraine, which uh, Ukrainians have been very uh, eager to reclaim, to recapture. And so the Ukrainians said for several weeks that they were going to launch a major offensive in, uh, to recapture Kherson. And in response, the Russians sent all of their best military to that area. 
to defend against this attack, which never happened. And that caused the Russians to thin out their lines uh, in eastern Ukraine, just southeast of, of Kharkiv. And that's where the Ukrainians had actually gathered all of their best weapons and best personnel, allowing them to puncture through the lines and retake massive amounts of territory. Right. But I mean, you know, it's it's been uh, considerable, maybe even uh, beyond, you know, some of the most uh, optimistic assessments of how this would go. You know, we got those early accounts that Ukrainian troops were making progress. Things seem to be going well. And it just feels like it's it's been a snowball effect over the last 48 hours. Uh, it, it has been. I mean, as, as of now, uh, if you go on Twitter, you know, there's a network of accounts that follow all this and share a whole bunch of unofficial information. And you can see Russian forces seemingly fleeing for their lives and leaving large amounts of military material, uh, you know, just tanks after tanks, which have just been abandoned as the Russians try to get over a river to safety. In terms of the uh, re- resiliency, the spirit uh, of Ukrainians uh, who have you know been dealing with uh, now more than six months uh, of hell, but still you know remaining optimistic, re- re- remaining resolute, and uh, believing that they can prevail here, how much do we attribute to the success of this and hopefully continued success to that that spirit, to that resolve? I, I mean, obviously the resilience is part of it, but I think what's also important is. Way that Ukrainians are waging war. I mean, even myself, an international journalist and observer, I was bamboozled by strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, about a week or two ago, it was announced that journalists would be uh, not allowed to be in sensitive areas in Kherson and Kharkiv. Uh, and the whole reason for that is that there were too many leaks in the area. Uh, and, and now, you know, in retrospect, it seems to have been part of this larger feint. Uh, so on my end, I always thought that. Uh, re- keeping journalists out of both areas, you know, I thought that Kharkiv was the, the sort of secondary concern, and they mostly wanted to keep journalists out of the Kherson area, but it turns out they actually want to keep journalists out of Kharkiv and use Kherson as a distraction. In terms of, you know, the the, um, the Russian strategy, and, you know, it's it's been obviously this whole situation, you know, more or less a disaster for, for Russia, but now, in light of this, I mean, theoretically, it's possible Russia could push back, maybe retake some of these, these uh, you know, these towns that uh, Ukrainian forces have seized back, but it feels like things are, are almost starting to fall apart here for the Russians. I mean, wh- what's your sense of, of where this is at, big picture? Uh, I mean, it's hard to tell, right? I mean, it's, it's very early. And it's very difficult to get a sense of what Russians think about this. Uh, but from what I've seen so far, there seems to be reports of Russian media and Russian telegram channels uh, complaining about these massive losses, praying for their soldiers, uh, many of them pressing anger towards their leadership. And so if the Russians feel angry and dismayed, then that means that this has broken through that web of propaganda that usually insulates them. And that means it's a big deal. Yeah, that would be huge, obviously. Um, I mean, you know, certainly to begin to raise questions about, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin himself and, and his grip on power. And we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but it, it feels like we're at a, a tipping point here. And, you know, the, the Russian apologists who have gone quiet, the Russian apologists who said that, you know, that, that the Russian victory was inevitable here and, and and all of that kind of speculation. I mean, you know, we're, we're seeing a very different story unfold here in Ukraine, uh, it certainly reinforces the idea, doesn't it, Adam, that this, you know, victory for Ukraine is is not just possible, but maybe even we're getting to the point where it's it's a likelihood that this doesn't have to be uh, we, we settle. This doesn't have to be, you know, we force Ukraine to accept some terms that's, you know, th- there's there's something here. 
Well, the thing is that the Ukrainians would never accept any compromise here because for them, as they've often said to me, you know, these areas aren't just lines on a map. Yeah. So if you tell them that they need to concede a land to the Russians, what that means is that people, you know, have to live with knowing that their families are under occupation, uh, where they live in really harsh circumstances and have their culture annihilated. You know, I have close friends whose families are from Izum, which is currently being liberated as we speak. Um, so for them, the only choice is absolute victory and expelling Russia from their lands. And I always thought this was going to take much longer. You know, I thought mm -hmm. this was going to be a multi-year war, but it seems to everyone's surprise that this is concluding or is on the road to concluding, hopefully, sooner rather than later, uh, which has been great. I mean, the Ukrainians have been overperforming throughout the war. Uh, the Russians retreated all from the Kyiv region. You know, Ukraine was supposed to fall in three days. That's what everyone thought. And now we see them pushing back uh, so quickly. It's it's quite inspiring. Right. And certainly vindicates, you know, the American approach and, and other countries to ensure that, you know, we were providing Ukraine with the arms they need to, to fight back. And it's a reminder that, look, that that support is is crucial, that, you know, if, if we're starting to get close to to something resembling a victory, that, that we can't take our foot off the gas. We can't back down now, can we? We, we can't. And, and the thing is that I think that in this way, Ukrainians have sometimes been a, vic a victim of their own success because people don't realize that this is, this is not just a regional war. Uh, this has implications for all of European and therefore global security. Right. Uh, if Ukraine falls and that destabilizes Eastern Europe by create, making Poland feel uh, at risk, making the Baltic states feel at risk. Uh, and so it's important for us to ensure that we keep on providing weapons because obviously Ukrainians are using them well and uh, that we just, you know, go with what we're doing right now for our own interest, not for the Ukrainians. All right. Some important days ahead. What are you going to be watching for, Adam? Uh, I'm actually going to be watching for what happens in, in Kherson because the big question here is that if the Russian lines have been punctured in the east and Russia needs to reinforce these areas, where are those troops coming from? And so... If they have to move troops away from Hassan to reinforce the east, does that send their line sufficiently in Hassan to allow the Ukrainians to make another breakthrough in the south? The big question here is where's the line to send? If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.